Hello, this is Everwonder from the California Science Center. I'm Perry Roth Johnson. Back when the Science Center opened, our guests could see a few small animals like snakes, insects, and spiders on display here and there. But when we opened ecosystems in 2010, a whole bunch of new creatures joined the Science Center family. Just looking at our kelp tank alone, it's home to more than 40 different species. Now, if you count up all the fish, insects, and other little critters on display, we now take care of thousands of animals. Do you ever wonder why we have so many animals? Well, I've invited Chuck Kopsack to the show to talk about why we display animals at the Science Center and what goes into selecting different species for display. As the curator of our ecosystems gallery, Chuck is directly involved in picking which animals we present in our exhibits while working with our team of professionals who care for each of them. So Chuck, you're the curator of life sciences at the Science Center. You're in charge of the Ecosystems Exhibition. Uh, mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thanks. So correct me if I'm wrong, like you're a curator and you're directly involved in picking which species we present, but not directly involved in the care and feeding of the animals. That's what our living collections department does. You're trying to convey in an exhibit some scientific message. So you try to pick an animal that will help you tell that story. And then you work and kind of hand that off to living collections to make sure that that animal can have a good life, be cared for, be happy while promoting learning with our guests. Is that how the two, the handoff between the two departments works? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and it's a, you know, it's a collaborative effort. You know, uh, each one of our, within ecosystems, each one of the galleries in ecosystems has one particular ecological concept or principle that we're trying to communicate. So as you said, we try to select species that, help to communicate that readily. Uh, but then it goes through the filters of, well, can we, can we care for this? If we get this, can we care for it? Actually, the first question is, can we obtain this species? Uh, you know, and can we get it from primarily from another zoo or an aquarium? Someone already has it. And ideally something that's been raised in human care, not collected from the wild. Why do we have animals at the Science Center? Does it promote more learning for our guests or enjoyment for our guests? What's, what's the rationale behind that? Yeah, I, I think the promotion of learning is an important part of it. I mean, it does that. And it, it really is the, um, the idea that we're, we're making connections. We're letting people make connections with real things, um, real living things in this case. I mean, we've always, the Science Center has always used that as a major thing, that we have real things for people to see. And even if you're separated by a thick piece of acrylic, there's something about, for instance, seeing that black sea bass hanging in the window <laughs> of the mm -hmm. tank that is, uh, and coming really almost face to face with it, essentially, that wouldn't, co couldn't possibly be the same if we showed that on video or just a picture of it. So that idea of that, that ability to come in contact with the real thing is important. Uh, so we look at our animals as being ambassadors for their species that we hope will, uh, generate in our guests the desire to want to, one, learn more about them, but also then hopefully want to protect them and help conserve their habitats. Is it common for science centers to have animals? My impression is you see them at zoos and aquariums. Mm -hmm. um, when we started Ecosystems, it was, it was, as far as I know, was relatively rare. I mean, to have them at the extent, to the extent that we have them today was very rare. Uh, lots of science centers have small things. I mean, we even had you know, before we opened ecosystems, we had, you know, 
a few snakes and uh, a couple of uh, mammals and stuff in the in the world of life discovery room uh you know maybe a dozen species mostly small right. things in, uh, insects and spiders and things and that's that's fairly common the common scale that that science centers would have things uh I'm not sure the extent, and I don't want to sound like we're we're the greatest, we're the best. I think ours is probably the most extensive collection, given the aquatic stuff we have with the kelp forest and all of that. But they're all they're all a little different, and they all provide their guests a great experience. Diving a little deeper into ecosystems, we have a mixture of hands-on exhibits along with these live animals. So how do you decide which one's better suited for a good guest experience? Well, you know, one of the things that we've... Um, that we did rather with uh, ecosystems. We had three main, three main goals as we started to design the, the, the basic concept. And one, of course, was to do the interactive exhibits that we'd always done. The second was to introduce a component of live animals to an extent that really had not been done by a science museum or science center before. And then the third thing was the creation of these, what we, you know, these, what we call these immersive environments. Uh, the Island Zone, I think, is a good example where we have, well, we've recently changed the exhibit, but we started off in there with a set of a species of anolid lizards uh, that are found all over the Caribbean and, and in various places, uh, even in the U.S., but they they had gone through what's called an adaptive radiation. They, they evolved from a single species, probably, and radiated out to fill a whole bunch of different niches, which ended up in unique species that looked very different and occupied different places in the trees or on the ground where they live. And so we have interactives that help to try to explain how that kind of thing happens, how, how differences in food supply or differences in the shape of your beak might influence what food supply you might be able to eat. And if that food supply disappears, well, you're likely to disappear with it type of thing. Well, let's pivot over to the kelp forest. Like, how did you pick those animals and make sure that they would mostly be in harmony, even though, to my limited understanding, like, we do have a little bit of a predator-prey relationship in there? When we when we came up with the different ecosystems, that was largely mm-hmm. an exercise of uh, geography. Where on earth do we want people to visit? Because we wanted to take people to different places. That was some of the early focus group work we did. We asked people who were visitors and who weren't, you know, a whole range of different people, you know, where do you want to go on planet earth? What would you want to see? What would you want to do? And, and, or, you know, how would you experience this? It was like, I want to be there. I want to be in this place. And uh, I still remember one gentleman said, you know, I just want to open my eyes and be in the middle of the rainforest. Um, We then overlaid that geography with these principles or or, uh, uh, concepts of ecological science that we thought each this concept would go well with this ecosystem. So the kelp forest was always going to be about species diversity and how and why do ecosystems maintain certain levels of, of diversity. So given that we wanted to show the diversity of a, of a Southern California kelp forest, it was actually pretty easy to decide that we need everything, <laughs> you know, mm. all the fish and everything, um, which as I'm happy to uh, admit to, and I tell the uh, Aquarius, I apologize to the Aquarius all the time, is that, you know, any of the other big aquariums here in California primarily exhibit either the large predatory species that don't normally prey on each other, or they exhibit the smaller prey species. Mm. They don't mix them. But the crazy curator involved in ecosystems decided 
he wanted to show all the diversity. So we do have both, and it is mm. a challenge. Uh, our our uh, living collection staff, our aquarists, do a great job. The, the approach is to try to keep the animals well-fed to suppress their natural, the, the larger predator species, predatory species, to suppress that desire or need to have to go after other fish. Mm-hmm. I know that you're a, a longtime scuba diver. Like, was your vision to kind of replicate within the science center a scene that you might see if you were scuba diving in the ocean somewhere? Right. Yeah. That that was definitely part of it. Um, the rock work in the tank, which I was uh, I, I sort of art directed, is really based on sort of the rock, the geological structures that you find on the Channel Islands. Uh, big layered rocks, and that's why it's all sort of cracked and tilted and all this stuff. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And the other thing, that too, that was important, uh, which I was happy that we did, was that we included a tunnel into the tank, which, at least among kelp forest exhibits here in California, we're, I think we're the only one that has a tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's important because, as a scuba diver, you experience the, the a kelp forest, or any marine ex- ecosystems, obviously, sort of in a horizontal way, because you're swimming around through it. Mm. And, you know, we have our great big window, which I love, and it's a beautiful view of the kelp forest, but you're largely standing there experiencing it vertically, mm. because you can't move. Whereas with the tunnel, you're you're surrounded by the kelp forest. You're in the middle of it, essentially, which is really the view that a diver gets. And so I hope we give our guests sort of that feeling we don't actually necessarily interpret things that way for them which maybe we should but uh Mm -hmm. but that's that's that experience of being sort of a diver and being in the middle of a kelp forest so it's it's obvious you know you you are super passionate and excited about uh all of these species and it seems like one of your goals uh by presenting these to our guests um is to convince people not only that the science is is important to learn but to want to preserve these animals in their natural habitats. Uh, Like, where did that feeling come from? I think for me, it goes back to my undergraduate work in in college. You know, you come across textbooks that you use in classes, and it it always struck me that that most of the books, especially the ones about ecology or the environment, typically, you know, had all this stuff, all these chapters. And then at the very end of the book, usually there'd be one or two chapters about how humans fit into this. And it, um, that sort of struck me. It's like weird because it's like, we're, why are we separated out as something at the end that the implication being, well, did any of the stuff in the first part of the book apply here or what, you know, as human beings, the way we've looked at the world around us, of course, over his, over history has changed. Even prehistory has changed. I mean, we th- there were times when humans looked at the world as this scary, weird, magical place where you know what is lightning? What is this? This this is these are dangerous things, and there's something or somebody is trying to harm us. And so we saw the world as this magical place. Then we begin to see the world in different ways. And at some point, with with uh, Newton, we started to see the world as a machine. But in all of this, we've always sort of separated ourselves from whatever it is we're looking at out there. We, we seem to have a feeling, and maybe this is more of a Western thing. I don't want to necessarily say that it's every culture in the world. But we've always sort of stood apart in our own minds from nature. And, and I don't see how that can possibly be. Not that I agree with the metaphor anymore. We're part of this machine. You know, we're part of nature. 
Uh, and that, for me, really is encapsulated in a large way in the LA zone at the end. That's the only gallery we want that we definitely want people to go through at a particular time, which is at the end of the exhibit when they leave. That was why it was purposely put where it was. I'm trying to pose the question, are our cities, are the habitats that we build for ourselves, are they ecosystems or are they influenced or governed by these same principles you've just learned in the rest of ecosystems? Do those things apply here? And to me, the answer is obviously yes. And so, you know, I want people hopefully to come away. We, we want to bring them back to an ecosystem with which they're most familiar, the, the urban environment, and come away knowing that, oh, yeah, all that stuff back in there applies here. And things I do influence the environment. So it sounds like uh, I, I've seen this question posed, are humans part of nature or are they separate from nature? It sounds like from everything you've just said, humans are part of nature. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, Chuck, I think that's a, a good note to end on. Uh, thanks so much for, for sharing uh, stories about the ecosystems exhibit and you know why we pick which animals to display and, and, and that it's really important to kind of get people to think about Humans are part of nature and hopefully motivate folks to try to preserve these animals in their natural habitat and, and conserve them. Yes. So thanks for coming on the show, Chuck. Well, this has been great. Thank you very much. Well, that's our show, and thanks for listening. Until next time, keep wondering. Ever Wonder from the California Science Center is produced by me, Perry Roth Johnson, along with Jennifer Castillo. Liz Roth Johnson is our editor. Theme music provided by Michael Nicholas and Pond 5. We'll drop new episodes every other Wednesday. If you're a fan of the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating or review or tell a friend about us. Now, our doors may be closed, but our mission to inspire science learning in everyone continues. We're working hard to provide free educational resources online while maintaining essential operations like on-site animal care and preparing for our reopening to the public. Join our mission by making a gift at californiasciencecenter.org slash support.